Welcome to Vision of Zion, episode number seven. I'm Craig Perry. Thanks for tuning in. Today is August 5th, 2022. Over the past uh, couple of years, and actually this, this comes and goes, we're seeing a lot of forces that are trying to make major changes in our communities, in our governments, in our nations, and globally. These efforts appear to have accelerated, and the motivation is to create what uh, I believe uh, was was referred to back in 1991, the first time I ever heard it, was some kind of a new world order. These were the words that I remember President George Bush speaking in one or two speeches in 1991. Uh, having done some research on his words, he actually started to speak this way earlier than 91. He started to use the term United Order or United World or, excuse me, New World Order as early as 1990. Uh, there can be no doubt that there is major energy today to reformulate the current world into a, a new idea. Many people are expressing concern about this movement about these efforts being made by some politicians and rich billionaires who spend their money to try, and some of them spend their money to try and persuade political change. And many of these motivations, I'm sure they're, they're good and they're sincere and they're genuine. We also see a movement or slide towards socialism and communism which is abroad in the world, and it is also taking root in many of our young people who are taught these ideas in schools, in classes, etc. Uh, there are people that are much more qualified than I am to discuss why and the economics of why socialism and communism don't work and how these movements of the 20th century, when implemented, led, led to the death and misery of millions and tens of millions of souls. So I'm not going to I'm not going to philosophize or argue or just debate any of these. Uh, I'll call them social experiments. But I do want to express my belief as a Bible believing Christian that none of these movements are going to succeed. Today we're going to talk about the kingdom of God that is going to be established shortly upon this earth, leading us into a period of millennial reign by Jesus Christ and a thousand years of peace. I'm going to skip over the tough times, the tribulations, and focus for now on what we're all working for. Because right now the truth is we all need hope and we need to have faith in the future of what the Lord has promised. I believe there's no better place to start this discussion then by looking at the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar, the great Babylonian king, and the dream that he had that was interpreted by Daniel, who was an exile from the kingdom of Judah when the Babylonians came into that kingdom and carried off their people into Babylon and basically took apart the country for 70 years. 
before they were allowed to return. The Bible prophesied the return of the Jews to their homeland in Israel, the land that was promised to them if they kept and remained righteous, but then was taken from them when they forgot the Lord and fell into sin and apostasy. Predictions that were being made by prophets such as Isaiah and documented by prophets like Jeremiah. But they were promised that they were they would one day return, and they did. Now, I believe that the following prophecy is as literal as what we saw happen when the nation of Israel was proclaimed on May 14th of 1948, just a little over 70 years ago. I guess now we're at 74 years. I like comparing and contrasting the job that Joseph of Egypt had to do in interpreting the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh's dream, Pharaoh of Egypt, centuries before with what Daniel was called upon to do in interpreting King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, but he can't remember what it is. Uh, the Pharaoh remembered his dream and was able to tell it to Joseph of Egypt. I'll just call him Joseph, son of Jacob or Israel. It still took the spirit of the Lord to and a gift uh, that for Joseph to interpret that dream. But imagine you're Daniel and he can't remember what the dream was. Then he commands his magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, it says also the Chaldeans or Chaldeans, to remind him what his dream was. And not only that, but if they can't tell him what the dream was or its meaning, they would be, quote, cut in pieces and their homes would be made a dunghill. I'm assuming that he had them on the payroll and said, okay, now it's time for you to earn your keep. Well, none of them could do it. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 19, we read that Daniel had himself a vision in the night and the secret of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream was revealed to him. Daniel takes no credit for this. He thanks and praises the Lord for giving this information. And the first thing that happens is he's able to spare the lives of all of those who would have been killed because they couldn't do the job. Daniel appears before the king and he describes what the king saw. He told the king what you saw was an image, or I guess I'll call it a statue. He calls it a great image and the head was made of fine gold the breast and arms were made of silver belly and thighs of brass and legs of iron and then down below the legs were feet which were part iron and part clay and then we read this in daniel 2 34 he says thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. And then this powerful image, then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the shaft of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole 
earth. We know that on a threshing floor, when the grain was cut in the old days, I think they would toss it up in the air and the wind would blow away the unusable straw portion of the grain and the heavier grain would fall to the ground. This was how the Lord was going to sift through what we learned to be are these kingdoms or nations, nation building that occurred with, covenant, with Nebuchadnezzar and then thereafter. Daniel identifies King Nebuchadnezzar as the, as the head of gold. And historically, I think we can agree that the next kingdoms were the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, this would be the silver and the brass kingdoms respectively. And then we have the Roman Empire, which is identified as the iron legs of the image. And as we know, the Roman Empire didn't last forever, but remnants of it did. And the, the, the toes, the iron mixed with miry clay, would be the remnants of the Roman Empire that we have today. So what is this stone that grows and then fills the whole earth? Is it the New World Order that George Bush was trying to inaugurate? Is it the, the dreams of the modern utopia that we see politicians and the rich trying to establish or claim to establish? today in our generation? And the answer is absolutely not. Let's read these key verses now, Daniel 2:44. Again, reading from the King James Version of the Bible. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. See, all these kingdoms had an ending. The Babylonian is gone. Medo-Persian is gone. The Greek is gone. The Roman is gone. And eventually, what was left of the Roman Empire, these are all gone when the Lord decides to establish his kingdom. Let's go back to that stone that was cut out. This is in verse 45. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof, sure. As we can see, nothing that man is going to do is going to replace the iron and miry clay toes. That's the end of, these, of the kingdom building that God is going to uh, see on this earth. There's not going to be another major, especially a global order that is going to do anything until the Savior's uh, kingdom or the kingdom of our God and his Christ are established. We're going to move forward now and in support of this, go to the New Testament and look at the book of Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation 12, we have a woman who is pregnant, travailing in birth, and she's in pain, delivering a child. She brings forth the man-child in verse 5, who it says was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Now, some say that this is uh, 
speaking of Jesus Christ, his mother Mary giving birth. And I don't disagree that that is one of the interpretations of this chapter. However, there's oftentimes duplicity and even maybe more than duplicity, there could be sometimes three meanings to verses of scripture, all of which are true. It's very clear in many respects that this is referring to this kingdom of God that is also discussed in Daniel, not just chapter two, there's other references to the timeline of the establishment of these kingdoms, but this kingdom, but I'm going to give you the interpretation or one additional true interpretation. I'm not going to lay the foundation backing this up, but trust me, I can show this later. The woman represents the church. The child represents the kingdom of God. Now for that last part, I'll show you that here in this chapter. So once the child is born, we have the dragon coming forth, fighting to try and stop this child or kingdom from growing. The woman flees in the wilderness to a place prepared for her in Revelation 12, 6. But here we see the child is, is the kingdom. Go to chapter 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accuse him before our God day and night. Interestingly enough, we, as I've been talking about good and evil come in pairs, opposition in all things that we try and do. You need to expect it so that you don't get discouraged when the negativity and the opposition comes. It's a part of it. I'll tell you a cute story about this. These two proselyting missionary missionaries, they were sisters, uh, women who were, uh, we call them sister missionaries in our church. They're out working, proselytizing one day, and it's a tough day, really tough day. And one companion says to the other, man, this was a really tough day. I was really challenged. And her companion said, yeah, well, I, this morning I prayed that I would have more patience. Uh, and her, and her companion said, don't ever pray for patience when you're working with me, please. And what she was saying was that, you know, if you want to learn patience, you're not going to get the patience, uh, uh talent, you know, delivered to you on a silver platter you are going to go through challenges. You're going to go through uh, opportunities to be impatient. And then in those situations, you have to learn to control yourself and to deal with that. So I thought it was, I always love that story. You know, don't pay, don't pray for patience when you're with me because I don't want to go through those challenges. So be careful what you pray for opposition in all things. If you here we have the kingdom of God being set up and in the next chapter, what do we see? We see that beast with multiple heads rising up out of the sea. We see blasphemy. We see false priest, excuse me, false prophet. We see a kingdom that is established, which if you don't worship the beast, you cannot engage in economic commerce. Complete and total lockdown. Does this sound familiar? Or does what is happening today on, our, on the earth beginning to sound familiar with this spirit? 
he causes both he this is a thir revelation 13:16 and he causeth all both small and great rich and poor free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads i believe that's probably symbolic but here's the key though to verse 17 that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name you are going to be forced to choose we are going to be forced to choose at some point which kingdom we're going to belong to the kingdom that we see rising up through travail from the woman who is the church and this kingdom of god that is going to grow the comparisons are the small stone cut out of the mountain without hands in daniel and the child who begins in embryonic state and then to the point of delivery I believe these are one and the same they are the kingdom of God that is going to come forth we'll cover the rest of the God's kingdom and the return of the Jerusalem that's described in later on in the book of Revelation but these are the two powers that are unfolding the current world order that we hear discussing I don't hear anything about a God-based religious movement. It's rather a secular movement where really smart people and perhaps people who, besides being well-intentioned, have malignant intention, are trying to do something which will fail. Now, we know from the imagery used in the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation, that this kingdom of the devil can be equated with Babylon, which is ironic because Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon when Daniel interpreted the king's dream. Babylon represents everything that is wrong with a government and a political organization. These things fail. The kingdom we are on the precipice of watching unfold in our lifetimes and soon is the kingdom of our God and his Christ. Well, has such a kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness, ever been uh, found on the earth until now? And the answer is yes. In fact, there have been a few instances in which people obtained that utopian society, but it's always based on what? Conversion to God, because that's when you shift gears from the natural man and being self-interested to charity and love and compassion for one another. I can't cover all of the societies and people who achieve this, but I'm going to give you a flavor for it today because we need hope. We need to know that the things we're going through and about to go through in the next term are going to be temporary and they are going to pass away and that this eternal kingdom is about to be established i'm going to name for now well i'll just say them all i guess there are maybe four instances on the earth when the people achieved a utopian religious spiritual society where there was peace and happiness and freedom and prosperity one was during the reign of enoch he was the prophet that we read about was taken in the book of genesis 
Next is Melchizedek, when he brought the city of Salem, Jerusalem, to repentance and became known as a Prince of Peace. Then in Palestine, where after the death of Jesus Christ, the apostles were trained, became converted fully, and created a perfect society for a short time before apostasy crept in. The fourth time was in the Americas after a visit from Jesus Christ where the people became so converted that they were able to maintain this utopian society for around 200 years. I'm just going to touch on three of them lightly today and I'm going to go into detail more down the road. Enoch might be a surprise. He's not mentioned much in the Bible. However, with the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls by Bedouin shepherds in 1947 and the subsequent discovery of 12 caves containing hundreds and hundreds of records, we learned that the Book of Enoch was among those records. Now, the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is what they're called, were found in these caves in an area called Qumran, and they date back to between 250 years before Christian era through 70 years Christian era. One of the scholars who's really dug into these texts is a woman, a retired Methodist preacher named Margaret Barker. I recommend you go to margaretbarker.com and see her books because from the dustbin of history and religious history, she has identified both Enoch and Melchizedek as very important uh, religious figures. I have a few of her books. One of them is called The Older Testament that will speak to this. Another one is called The Lost Prophet, a book written in 1988, which is about Enoch and his influence on Christianity. And then we have other references to Melchizedek, and I do believe that you'll find the statements by uh, Joseph Smith and subsequent scriptural accounts to be very enlightening about the kinds of societies that were set up during their ministry. But we need go no further than the New Testament and the book of Acts to see what happens when a group of people converted to the Lord fully what they can do together to create a utopian society. The first thing I want to do is I want to point out that it's pretty clear before the resurrection of Jesus Christ that the apostles were um, not fully appreciating what the Savior was and who he was. They had flashes of insight and understanding, but we read in the book of John chapter 21 that Peter, who was the rock, <laughs> who was supposed to, you know, receive the keys of the kingdom, and we read about Matthew, I think it's chapter 16, he's, he's back fishing again when the Lord appears to him and says, feed my sheep three times. So they didn't quite get it. How did they go from 
being followers of Jesus Christ to being leaders of his church? I believe the answer is found in Acts chapter 1. Luke, who is writing to Theophilus, describes what happened after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's read the first three verses. That's all we need to read to understand how they got to where they needed to be. Verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. I think he's referring to the book of Luke, what we call the book of Luke now. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. So we now have the Holy Ghost instructing them. But here's the key, verse 3. To whom also, meaning to the apostles, he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and seeking of speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So this is the core reason why the apostles uh, got it right, finally. They spent 40 days with the resurrected Lord. I'm sure he went over the miracles he performed, the teachings that he gave, and with the help of the Holy Ghost, they felt and understood. They're talking to the first man ever raised from the dead on this planet. And resurrect a resurrected being the resurrected lord and through him we can all be resurrected but here he is talking to them for 40 days so this is why they became so prepared and what do we see happening we have the day of pentecost that's found in chapter two everybody hearing their own language one person speaking and every person with a different language is understanding the gift of tongues was there we see Peter speaking his first sermon with power and authority to the point that people want to become converted. He tells them to repent and be baptized after they were pricked in their hearts. Acts chapter 2 verse 37. Let's skip to verse 43. And all that believe were together. Sorry, that was verse 44. Let's go to 43. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. 44. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. So we see that one of the things that happens when conversion occurs is the charity, the, the release of attachment to physical objects and the desire to share and have things in common freely and voluntarily in a spirit of sharing and charity without force or compulsory means. Let's go to chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Now, who can do that? Only a spiritual conversion can do that. Only God can do that. It can't be done by any government or politicians political party okay one heart and one soul neither said any of them that out of the things which he possessed was his own but they had all things common and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the lord jesus and great grace was upon them all neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold 
and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Wow, this is truly amazing. And what were the blessings that occurred from them sharing and sharing alike? For some of these answers, let's go to chapter 5. There was, some, there was a man and wife who tried to withhold what they owned when they claimed to be part of the order, and that was a problem for them. But after that happened, there were even more believers. And I'm going to verse 15 of Acts 5 now. Uh, these new converts and believers, as they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might some might overshadow some of them. So just waiting for the shadow to pass over, they believed that they would be healed. And guess what? Verse 16, <clears throat> there came also a multitude out of the cities round about un, unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Now we're starting to see what the power of God can do among believers who are converted. They have no poor among them, and the miracles begin to explode. I'm going to give you a sneak preview about another society that had this same conversion. This is in the New World after the visit of Jesus Christ. If you don't think he could visit other people on the globe, go to John chapter 10, verse 16. I'll just leave it at that for now. These were other sheep he had of his fold. In closing, listen to this. And it came to pass that there was no contention in the land, because the love of God which did dwell in the hearts of the people. Can you imagine a society with no contention? We have people today who do nothing but stir up people to contention, and who contend one with another. It's been increasing, and it's very disheartening. When people are converted, contention vanishes and vaporizes, because the love of God in their hearts. And listen to this. There were, and there were no envyings nor strifes, nor tumults, nor whoredoms, nor lyings, nor murders, nor any part of lasciviousness. And surely there could not be a happier people among all the people who had been created by the hand of God. <clears throat> there were no robbers, no murderers. And then it goes on to say there were no, basically there were no classes of people, but they were in one, the children of Christ and heirs too, the kingdom of God. And how blessed were they? For the Lord did bless them in all their doings. Yea, even they were blessed and prospered. And this went on for over a hundred years. Unfortunately, with the riches, eventually there came pride and a downfall after 200 years. I hope that you will savor the words of what can happen when a people becomes converted to the Lord and the love that only a spiritual force can create this love, this spirit of charity, which comes from conversion to the Lord. This is the power that will unseat the devil and his kingdom. It cannot and it will not survive. We're skipping over the tribulations. We're talking about what we're working for. And this is what we are working for today. Jesus said, in his prayer, which we call the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. We should be praying for the kingdom of God to be born and to flower and to grow. 
in preparation for the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God has a plan, and it's been in the works since the foundations of this earth. We are going to be the instruments in God's hand to bring this kingdom forth. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this church and kingdom that was being built up, they didn't just come into existence from heaven. Instead, heaven came into the hearts of the people and they created heaven on earth. The apostles were the instruments that began this conversion along with the assistance of the Lord through the Holy Ghost, beginning with the day of Pentecost. I hope you'll stay tuned as we talk more about these societies because the society that Enoch developed, which was taken up into heaven, by the way, is the prototype for what we are about to do. So don't be discouraged as you see the devil trying to, one, stop this kingdom from being created, and number two, setting up his own kingdom through force and control and compelling people. This should tell us the end is near. All of the elements to make his kingdom possible, the technology, the methodology, it's all available today. There are things in the book of Revelation chapter 13 that could not have been done 100 years ago, but we have all of the technology and tools today for Satan to try and pull it off. But we know he will fail. We know from Daniel it will fail. We know from the book of Revelation, John's Revelation, it will fail, and many other sources. Hope you have, hope you enjoy pondering these things. Thank you for listening.